Do you like aliens, UFOs, cryptids, and the supernatural? What about self-defecating humor? Uh, actually, it's self-deprecating humor. Well, you may both be right. Alien Theorist Theorizing is a comedy podcast that examines cases like Roswell, Bigfoot, or the Atacama Alien. If any of these topics pique your interest, subscribe to Alien Theorist Theorizing free anywhere you find podcasts or go to alientheorists.com. Hey, it's Joe Trippy, and welcome back to That Trippy Show. Today, we're really excited to welcome Molly Jong Fast to the show. This is one we've been thinking of doing for a long time. Molly is the host of the New Abnormal podcast, uh, one of my favorites. If you haven't, you should uh, check it out. And she's the editor-at-large for The Daily Beast. Molly, welcome. Thanks. Well, thanks for having me. Tons of talk. Uh, today about Trump, McConnell are at it again, the state of the GOP, and the latest in Texas. Alex, though, I think uh, you want to start somewhere else. Yeah, we got a ton to talk about today. But one thing I wanted to get to right away, Molly, you kind of won the internet this week uh, with your your new uh, Gabby Tito story. I know, I know, you know, even scheduling this was kind of tough. I know you're rushing to get out the door. Uh, I wanted to start there and and give us a rundown first. Um, so yeah, that was interesting. Actually, my editor at the Beast, Harry, I tend, I try not to write on Mondays because I do the podcast on Mondays. So I usually have three or four interviews that I need to record. And I have like a lot of teenage children who need to ignore me. And so usually I don't write on Mondays, but, uh, my editor, Harry Siegel was like, do you want to write something on this? And we had talked about, I was a little bit worried about it because there's a lot of supposition right now, right? The case is not solved. We do not know where we, you know, there are remains that are found. It's not entirely, I think maybe there's a positive identification now, but before they were speaking in, in a sense that they hadn't completely, weren't completely sure it was her. And there's a lot of, you know, there's certainly the boyfriend, fiance is a person of interest, but there is no, there's no solid evidence right now in this case. So, but there is a lot of speculation and a lot of attention. And so I wanted to write about it, but I also wanted to write about the incredibly outsized uh, attention that the case is getting. Yeah, it's on the front page of CNN right now. It's on the front page of everything and yeah. Fox and and the Post. And, and I think, look, again, I don't want to criticize the attention that a case that could be domestic violence is getting because the truth is ultimately it's very good for the media to cover things like that, right? I mean, it raises awareness, it prevents more tragedies from happening. We want the media, and I mean the sort of news media, not I'm I think of myself as more on the commentary side, to cover things like domestic violence. The issue is not that they shouldn't cover it. The issue is that this one woman story is getting a huge, huge amount of coverage. And all of the other women who and girls who have gone missing during this period are virtually ignored. And that, I think, is the is what is the biggest story about this story, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So you had a uh, we're talking about indigenous uh, women in, I think, Wyoming uh, and how many of them have disappeared 
and gone missing and there's been zero coverage of it. Um, and it, you know, when you juxtapose it with what's happening now. Yeah, no. And I mean, I would say, look, indigenous community that so that the area where she was found is a place where there are there is an indigenous community where 700 and their women girls and little boys have all disappeared wow. and some of them 50 percent have been found but 21 percent have never been returned so and we and i think it's important when you talk about this case to talk about how the police have and it varies from state to state but they have a pretty you know more murders that be, more murders are unsolved than not, which is not an amazing hit rate, right? I mean, like, so I think it's important when you talk about the story to talk about what we're seeing here, right, is really white privilege. We're seeing a very beautiful, I mean, it's also like the culture's obsession with beauty, but even beyond that, it's really white privilege, right? This is a woman a white woman who somehow her murder matters more than all of the other murders that have happened in that same area. And so ultimately, and and again, remember, we've seen a lot that the police treat African-Americans very differently than they treat white people. And that is what we're seeing here is the other side of that, where they're investigating white crime and not investigating indigenous crime and not investigating. So it really is, I think, ultimately a mark on the media, the public interest, and also on policing. So let's uh, get over to the political stuff that, uh, I mean, one, thanks for getting that out there and, and uh, the great response you got uh, and are getting. Uh, it, it's really important. But I want to start to get into the, you know, the three or four things that are happening politically right now, you know, the McConnell Trump fight where Trump is now, you know, trying to unseat him as leader in the Senate. Uh, and I, I don't think getting anywhere in terms of finding a, a challenger. But where, where do you want it? You know, it was kind of a marriage uh, relationship made in hell or made for hell, I guess, between uh, McConnell and, and, and Trump in the first place. And, it you know, it's very effective at achieving their goals, particularly in the judiciary. But where do you see that all all today? I think it's great. Look, let Trump fight with McConnell. Delicious. Like, I love to see it. You know, you 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 know, you went and joined the leopard eating face party and now they're eating your face. Like, congratulations. I, honestly, McConnell thinks he thought he could have it both ways and support Trump and think it wasn't going to bite him in the ass. I mean, great. Like, I'd love to see it. I'd love to see Trump try to I mean, I don't think it'll work because McConnell is so good at keeping power. That's sort of his raison d'etre. But you know what? If it does, great. I mean, I I think the more uh, problems for McConnell, the better for everyone, for Democrats, for democracy, for the rest of us. So I think it's good. I mean, look, Trump's people. I mean, the, the thing that saved democracy so far is that Trump's people are all incredibly low rent and stupid. The, yeah. Right. I mean, everything yeah. they cook up is the smartest person in Trump world is still a fucking moron. Am I allowed to curse here? Of course. Yeah, I think, I think we can allow that one. Yeah. Hopefully DeSantis has as many stupid people around him as Trump does. But I'm a little worried about that. Right. I mean, DeSantis is actually smart, but like right. everyone in Trump world. I mean, the genius of Trump world is Stephen Miller and he's a terrible writer and a fucking idiot. And he is the smartest person there. So. 
in my mind, what saved us so far is that everyone there is an idiot. So my guess is that Trump's pick to replace McConnell will be, you know, Eric or someone equally moronic. Uh, but, you know, good for him. Worth a shot, baby. This is what I don't fully get about this kind of parlor entry game they keep playing. So Trump is going to have to get like a Holly or a Cruz or one of the people that will do whatever he wants to, to help him with this. But that puts a Hawley or a Cruz in a really tough position, right? Because all of a sudden, because if Trump goes, then they're trying to pick up his mantle. But if they help him stay in power, it's like then they're still second or third banana the whole time. So it, I, Joe, Trump this one, wannabes. This one, yeah, yeah, well, Joe, this one's for you first, but how do you see that one playing out? It's a game of chicken, and they're both, you know, Cruz is a chicken. And uh, it, it'll be whatever is the 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 double talk way out of it. But I, I don't think it's going to happen. I'm, I'm with Molly on this, that I don't see anybody being able to, because of who McConnell is and the strength he has in the Senate, it, you know, I, I just don't see it happening. But I do think, look, I'm with Molly on this. The inter, these inter-party fights almost always hurt the party that's having them. I mean, you, yeah. you look at the Tea Party costing Republican seats in, in the early, you know, in uh 2010, Christine O'Donnell won the primary in Delaware and was did the witch thing. Uh, you know, you, it, 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 uh, you you just see this kind of fight schism in the party, and I don't see how the Republicans avoid that in 2022. And I think that that is what. Uh, first of all, what Molly said about uh, the first thing that helped us saved us so far was how stupid the folks around Trump were uh, and are. The second thing. Maybe that that wing of the party is going to nominate, uh, you know, th that fight for control of the party is going to be won by Trumpies, hopefully. I mean, I mean that, hopefully, because I think that's the thing we need. I think there's no way it isn't. Right. I mean, you can't beat Trump. Right. You, you can't beat Trump in the primaries. Therefore, we should we we can. I, I, I think we already saw, I think, Larry Elder in California. I know it's California, uh, but. It's clear the more he tried, he, the more he became the Trump wannabe, uh, uh, you know, in the in calling out fraud and everything. I just sort of repeating all the Trump stuff out there. The more um, he started to fade, and the more Newsom started to grow. And I think that's going to happen in a lot of even these marginal districts if um, the 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 Trump wing uh, is in these. Party inter-party fights. You know, McConnell's not going to win. He, McConnell can win in the Senate, but he may not win a single Republican Senate primary. In terms of that's where the fight between Trump and and McConnell or or someone else in the party uh, is is going to be, I think, won by Trump. Well, the best part of the whole thing is that you have the people who can win the Republican Party are too crazy to win a general. Right. I mean. Right. You can only yeah. win a Republican primary if you're completely demented. And those people, I mean, suburban voter, suburban women don't want a guy who's like, we're not going to we're going to ban masking in schools. I mean, that's crazy. 
does this kind of does this ever spill over outside like this is a really bubbly conversation right now i think like there are like very few like real people paying attention to some of these potential primaries right now is this all kind of dc beltway stuff that doesn't really matter or what what do you guys think the actual impact of this is going to be I mean, I don't think nothing matters until there's an election, right? So people are not going to be talking about this because there's no election, right? That we saw the the recall is done. You know, Gavin Newsom has lived another day. There's going to be the next thing is the Virginia governors. And I I mean, we'll see. Like if Youngkin can do it and turn uh, turn Virginia red, then uh, we'll have that conversation. My guess is he won't. And, um, you know, and then we'll see in 2020, that's going to be the issue, because with the redistricting, it, Democrats going to have a real uphill fight. And the House is really, you know, those House, uh, the way that the House works, you know, it really encourages insane zealots. So look for a really crazy midterm, is my guess. Uh, I think that's right. I think, but, you know, this stuff does build, Alex. I mean, in other words, if, again, going back to 2010, I mean, you see what answer sort of, taking us back, you know, as they nominated these Tea Party candidates, one of them would say something crazy. Two weeks later, another one would say something even crazier in a different state. But it all started to accumulate where in the beginning of the year, the Republicans had a pretty good chance of picking up seats in places like Missouri. But by the end of it, the taint of all that sort of on top of each other, sort of piling up layering of the crazy uh, made people say, no, we're not good. all over the place. Say, you know, this, the, as we talked about, just, you know, you're, you're trying to move stuff at the margins here, the three or four percent that's of the Republican Party who said, no, no, I don't I don't want to that that far out group in uh, and moved uh, made it possible for Democrats to win a bunch of seats that they weren't supposed to in 2010. You start to see it now, I think, too. Some of the stuff that's starting to build up, the Texas abortion ban. Uh, I mean, it's sort of, you know, and now that we who gets nominated in another state, who gets nominated in Texas, by the way, uh, it may not be Abbott. For, <laughs> we don't know yet. Right. So like Molly says, it, 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 it not until there's an election when we know all this stuff. But I do think it can build and change some of this stuff because as Molly talked about, you know, the structural advantage that the GOB has in redistricting the historical momentum on their side with uh, in a midterm with the uh, after uh, the other parties, uh, uh, Democrats have elected a president. All those are sort of structural and historic. But I do think there is reason, like again in 2010, where if the Trump cult uh, maintains its power, which it surely looks like it's doing, and grows it and nominates uh, folks that will be doing a lot of crazy out there, that that may build up and add up to a different outcome than what people are expecting right now. I don't know, Molly, what do you think? I mean, I think for sure. I mean, the, look, the question is uh, what, you know, what will people be willing? I mean, I always think the issue is what, how many elections do Republicans need to lose before they decide that getting the craziest person to run may not be the best tact. And what David Frum always says is that they have to lose three elections. You have to lose three elections before you decide to switch courses. And that would mean the midterms, the Trump election, and this one. So I do think if they lose this one, 
there really is a sense that they may like stop and be like, hmm, maybe this Trump thing isn't working out for us. But until they do, there certainly is a, a sense in which these people are really, you know, nominating some of the craziest people. The thing I would say is that Democrats need to run someone good. They can't right. just because someone's terrible doesn't mean that, you know, like in California, people voted for no one over Larry Elder. Right. <laughs> the polling right. was like he, they left it blank over right. Larry Elder. So, I mean, that but that's on you. I mean, they were obviously voting for Newsom. But, you know, in a sense, uh, Democrats <clears throat> need to run good people or they won't win. It doesn't matter. Right. right. I mean, if you if you have a uh, one awful uh uh, nominee versus another awful nominee of the other party, people, you know, just go home. Uh, right. I mean, I would also say I don't think it's the Democrats necessarily nominate awful people as much as they nominate people who cannot win a particular area. So they're either their values are not aligned with the area or their messaging is not appropriate for the people yeah, who are voting. Well, I meant awful for the district is what I, right. I, I didn't mean yeah. awful people. Uh, I, I just think that, uh, uh, you know, I mean, I learned this obviously working for Doug Jones in Alabama. What got us that win uh, in 2017 was that, that, that he. Right. He's a good candidate for the area. Yeah. Women could look at uh, Republican women, younger Republicans, uh, college educated could, could look across the aisle uh, at Doug Jones and say he's reasonable, he's common sense, uh, uh, he's you know, uh, and, and they could see their way to many of them voting for a Democrat for the first time in their lives. I mean, we had no one yeah. in, won in twenty five years there, but then the, the 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 Trump polarization just increased over the three years uh, to the point where the word Democrat, they would spit it out in focus groups and they weren't, it didn't matter uh, who Doug Jones was. They weren't right. voting for him. He was one of them despicable Democrats. And so I think, you know, we're now fighting around the margins. We're trying to get three points, you know, you could get three more points maybe in in Alabama, but it was too red. There's no way in a, in a presidential election. In a, in a midterm, I think it's gonna matter. Um, it, it, like in 2018, the moderate Democrats uh, or Democrats that really fit the district won those the majority of our primaries, and that's what what led to to taking the House in 2018. It wasn't a, a progressive surge, or you know, you know, or one wing right. winning. It was the right the right candidates in the right district uh, that fit the district. We need to do that again, Molly. You're right. Yeah, I mean, I would say the only thing I would say is that you know the difference there too was that Doug uh, was that your you know, the first time Doug was running against a serial sexual offender and the second time Doug was running against a moron and like being a moron is not enough to discredit a Republican in a Southern state. Yeah, well, you know I mean, I look mean? at the, the state 68 percent, you know, it's, it, it, you know, voted 68 percent for for Trump in 2016, didn't do right. much lower than that. Uh, uh, the, I think the thing that was the special, it was it was going to be a relatively low turnout. I mean, it had a lot to do with it, too. A low turnout election in which Democrats right. could, you had the right candidate. He wasn't going to he wasn't going to generate a huge Republican turnout because he wasn't the devil. Um, right. And at the same time, uh, because of his uh, taking on the 
the the Klan after the 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 church bombing, uh, putting you know you know chasing that down, um, getting justice there or as much as you could. He you know he had a, he had a following, and so the the Democratic base was fired up and ready to go, and the right. the Republican base wasn't. The problem that presented in 2020 is you now have a presidential turnout, and there was nothing. There was no way to stop that wave. And by the way, we found that out all over the country and in all the other Senate races that weren't Alabama, that we didn't get, uh, we didn't win, uh, that we thought we would uh, until we get to Georgia. And that goes to Stacey Abrams and a whole bunch of people uh, who spent 10 years building that. It doesn't really, uh, I don't, you know, not a lot of credit, I think, goes to, you know, Democratic committees in Washington. I don't put them down. They, they all work hard. I'm just saying that I think, um, again, what people do in their district, getting involved now, uh, like people did in Georgia, it can really make a big difference. Who we nominate can make a big difference. And one one thing um, that I think we need, but surely looks like it could happen, is that the Republican Party could 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 uh, continue to be owned by Trump and nominate his candidates who will be espousing a lot of crazy stuff out there that can help us move those people over and win. So, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I agree. I think that's right. So, Molly, you got into um, the cult of Trump recently. Um, well, hang on. I, yeah. I would say she reported on the, the cult. Oh, of yeah. Trump. I'm sorry. Yeah. You didn't get into the Trump. Yeah, I'm sorry. Jeez. Yeah. You reported on it. <laughs> uh, you know, that Trump is basically telling the mob they're holy warriors on his side. And I wanted you to get into that a little bit. Um, uh, what is, what's going on there and, and, and what's his hold, uh, as he, as he continues to push this stuff? So I would say that, I mean, I don't know, they've gotten, they've definitely gotten crazier. I don't know if you saw my, my colleague Will Summer wrote for the Daily Beast about how, um, how the, how Eric is speaking at an anti-vax conference. Yeah. I mean, they're, you know, look, they're, and, and I mean, you saw Trump spoke at this uh, Moonies. He delivered a, a speech for the Moonies. I mean, you know, they've gotten to the point where they're like minutes away from doing infomercials on QVC for uh, George, you know, there's going to be a President Trump, George Foreman grill coming. So look, I, I mean, I think, you know, they these guys are at the bottom of the barrel. And just because he was president doesn't mean he won't continue with his sort of, I mean, holy wars. Look, he knows he has these evangelicals because no one else even bought. I, I mean, for a long time, Republicans pandered to evangelicals but Trump pandered with like a capital P to evangelicals in a way that even people like Reagan and Bush had never done. You know, he right. went to the March on Life, quote unquote. He did the kind of things that regular presidents would consider to be too unseemly uh, for elected officials to do. And he did it because he knew, again, and this is what you just said, that elections are won in the margins. He knew that if he went and galvanize the zealots, they would come out and vote for him. And, you know, those are the people wouldn't necessarily vote for a Mitt Romney because he seemed too intellectual or they wouldn't vote for a George W. Bush because he seemed too fancy. I mean, 
And Trump was willing to say, like, I'm just like one of you. Of course, it was complete and utter bullshit. Right. I mean, the right. guy grew up in in Queens, but he went to Ivy League College, his family very relatively wealthy. And so, I mean, it's a total scam, but Trump embraced the scam in a way that other people didn't because he has no conscience. So I say expect to see more and more. This is the bottom, you know, expect to see more of it. Well, you know, before it, it, it's kind of like he did that, the like random off-brand boxing cast on 9-11, right? It's like there is, the, Molly, I don't think there is a bottom. Right. No, no. I mean, I think that's right. And yes, uh, that that is right. So before we're almost out of time, but before we let you go, I I want to get back to we were talking about candidates earlier, and I think we have to hit Texas a little bit. Yeah. Obviously, you know, we've all been working pretty hard in Texas. The Lincoln Project's been doing it a lot in Texas. Uh, came out recently, it, uh, basically good as as good as an official announcement. But, but Beto O'Rourke leaked that to the Chronicle that he's going to run against Abbott. And you know, obviously, we got McConaughey in there too, potentially. Uh, what I want both of your take on on Texas and, and this decision from Beto. I mean, I look. I I don't know what is happening on the ground in Texas. If Texans want him, then he's the right candidate. I mean, this is one of those things where the inner where I think Twitter is probably not the Texas voter. So we have to see if Texas voters want him. But yeah, I mean, he's certainly when I've talked to him the last couple of times I've talked to him. I've been struck by, or I've heard him speak. I've been struck by that he he spends a lot of time going to different parts of Texas, which strikes me as important. Yeah, look, I think um, Beto, if, if you look at what's moved Texas organizationally on the ground, uh, got, you sort of built a statewide uh, effort and attracted people. Uh, there have been a p- bunch of different people doing that, but I think um, Beto deserves a lot of credit uh, for for his role in, in building it. Um, and, and so, one, the reason we're here, I mean, the reason you have a poll, you know, Dallas uh, Morning News poll had Beto trailing Abbott by five. I They had uh, uh, McConaughey up up nine. Um, I, I bolded that in the rundown. I don't think we can skip we can skip over that point. McConaughey is beating Abbott by nine. Yeah. I mean, but remember, that's how Trump got elected, right? Famous people get have recognition and win elections. I mean, I'm not sure McConaughey is like a Democrat, though, is he? I'm not sure. Does it it matter? And do we? No, it doesn't. What matters to us? It doesn't matter to the voters of Texas. And is he really going to run? We don't know that either. Um, Right. Even if, you know, they're making those noises now. But my point was both that Abbott goes to Abbott's weakness where he's, um, uh, you know, I I think both on handling COVID, I think um, way out of step on how far they went on on the abortion ban with the majority of Texans. So it is his his favorability ratings are 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 down substantially. I think he's got a 41 approval now. Uh, and I, at this point, that was a week or so ago. I, I wouldn't be shocked if it's if it's fallen below that. The The reality, though, is the Democratic Party or Democratic candidates, the two of them that we that we're talking Beto and McConaughey, assuming he runs as a Democrat, uh, their strength, I think, is a large part due to things that Beto and others have been building in that state. And so, look, if they're going to have it out in the primary, fine. But I agree with Molly, the one who wins it, I think, um, one, will be 
better for it in terms of a fit for the state and, and, and the debate that was had. But second of all, I think it'd be in a, a strong position to actually, uh, I think Texas could be the big surprise of 2022 um, in terms of statewide races. I, I, I think uh, that it's possible. And I think there, you know, when you're, t- you're not talking about one candidate who's in play there that could do it. You, we, there are two, at least in, in current polling. Let's see how it plays out. As Molly says, none of this matters till there's an election. Um, that primary may matter. But I do think in the end, uh, in November 2022, keep your eye on Texas, my friends. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, look, the power grid in Texas yeah, froze exactly. and people died. You can't advertise yourself as the great state for business when people are freezing to death. Like that's just preposterous. So even though you have low state taxes, state income tax, which gets rich people very excited, if they don't have power for five days, they're not gonna live in your state. And I think that ultimately, look, low tax states, I mean, as a Democrat, I just wanna take a minute to talk about what a scam low tax states are because they do really, they rob from public education. So you have, states with shitty schools and bad roads because Elon Musk doesn't want to have to pay all his income tax. Like it is ultimately a real fucking scam. But ultimately also, you know, if you, I mean, for me, I'd much rather just pay my taxes and have power. Right, exactly. <laughs> Make the, the lights be on, exactly. Molly, you got kind of your start in, in this kind of online activist space. And obviously now you've got a pretty awesome podcast and you're at the Daily Beast. I just wanted you to tell our listeners a little bit about kind of your your story and and how you got here, because I think it's really interesting. So, I mean, I had, so I would say my story started in when I was 13, I started writing for the forward. And then I went and wrote a book when I was 19 called Normal Girl. And then I wrote another book when I was like 22 and another one when I was 24. And then my career kind of stalled out and I had all these children. And then when I was in my thirties, I started writing again for the forward. And it was like very humbling to go from like having written for the New York times. And, but I did. And then uh, I wrote every single week for like a couple years. Uh, And then they asked me to go to Glamour. And then from Glamour, they asked me to the Daily Beast. And then from the Daily Beast, you know, I do Vogue too. And and then I also tweeted during that time, which definitely grew my ability to promote my work. But I've been pretty focused on my writing in the opinion space. Um, I don't know how, I mean, I think like the consistency of doing it made me better at doing it and has been very valuable for me. Um, and then from there, you know, the more you do it, the better you get at it and the more people read it. And there is a certain, the continuity of it is certainly kind of uh, continues, if that makes sense. Awesome. Yeah, that was his one quick question. Tell us. <laughs> <laughs> But no, Molly, really, it's, it's thank you so much uh, for thank joining you. us today. You can catch Molly on Twitter at Molly Jong Fast. And don't forget to subscribe to her podcast, The New Abnormal, 
You can listen wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you get this one. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to That Trippy Show and leave a review on Apple or wherever you listen. And please do share it with a friend. You can always send us a question to thattrippyshow at gmail.com or leave us a question in a review on iTunes. We'll see you next Friday. And Molly, thanks again for coming on. Thank you. Thanks, Joe.